So yeah, so I'm encouraging anyone, anyone who's listening to start thinking about those decisions. Uh, who's going to be in charge of your medical decisions when you're not able to make those decisions for yourself? Yes. Uh, because it's important. Hello and welcome to The Journey, your radio show, hosted by Neville D'Angelo, author of A Soundbite Life and Flight of the Fused Monkeys, a PRG Emerging Technologies Forum keynote speaker and founder of Rio Sports. I am Joseph Ellison. Enjoy! I am Neville. Our guest is Mr. Jeff Saylor, a clinical case manager at Texas Medical Center. Mr. Saylor has a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. He is a critical care registered nurse and has certifications in critical care nurse management and in advanced cardiac life support. He is a member of the American Association of Critical Care Nurses, the Society of Critical Care Medicine, the American Society of Transplantation, and the American Academy of Diabetes Educators. I invited Mr. Saylor onto the journey to advise us and to provide us with best practices beyond those actions and measures which all of us have been repeatedly told to take during this pandemic. He has agreed to give us tips on what each of us should do to always maximize our opportunity for positive outcomes whenever we are faced with medical emergencies or in pursuit of critical care, regardless of whether it is a pandemic. You may want to get pen and paper ready. Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky questions. And we play a few games and track the remarkable characters of three classic books, A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again, all of which can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Hello, Jeff. Thanks for coming on to the journey with us. How are you doing today? Great. How are you, Neville? I'm doing pretty good. It's a, a quite a peculiar time, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's a little bit uh, anxiety-inducing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it's nice to have no traffic on the freeway, so <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Well, we appreciate all the stuff that you guys are doing for us. You know, you are our heroes right now, and I'm so oh, thankful. Thank you. I'm thankful for that. Well, I'm glad that you spent some time uh, uh, to come on the journey. But first, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background, what you do and all of that? Oh, sure, definitely. So uh, I'm a nurse by profession. Uh, I've been a nurse here in Texas for 10 years. Uh, but my back background has been primarily in critical care. So I worked as a bedside ICU nurse for a few years here in the Texas Medical Center. I worked in a cardiovascular ICU and a surgical transplant ICU, and I was a nurse manager uh, in the surgical transplant ICU at Houston Methodist Hospital. 
but I recently made the transition into case management. So now I'm working as a case manager at uh, the UT of uh, Medical School here in Houston in the Family Medicine Clinic. Mm. What took you into nursing? Do you mind telling us? Yes. So, um, well, I initially I wanted to go to medical school <laughs> because I, I'm Asian and I have Asian parents, and you know how Asian parents are. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I uh, well, when we moved here to the states, uh, we quickly realized that medical school is an expensive and risky proposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it costs about several hundred thousand dollars. Mm. Just to go through school, and people have tons of loans. And then I realized, as I was taking my uh, college classes, that I would didn't really want to spend a whole decade in training. And then my my parents, uh, you know, told me, "Well, why don't you consider nursing?" Mm. Uh, and so I thought about it, and I uh, did nursing. Uh, in fact, my dad is a nurse too. He works in critical care as well. Yeah. So. Um, I got the inspiration from him. <laughs> uh, it, the blood is running through the family, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, this is a peculiar time for you guys. Have you had any experience uh, anywhere like this in in prior to, to now? Uh, no, honestly, no. I guess the closest thing that I remember in the past was uh, with the H1N1 epidemic. This mm-hmm. is, I think, in... Um, late or early, two thousand or late two thousands, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, I believe, uh, where we had a rash of patients with uh, severe respiratory illness, uh, so much so that they would need uh, um, ECMO, which or or basically a heart lung machine, um, to make sure that they stayed alive. Mm. Uh, and so it wasn't as widespread as. Uh, as COVID that we have right now, mm-hmm. but uh, that was, uh, I guess, a difficult problem we had in the ICU since we didn't have any nurse, enough nurses who were trained to do the heart lungs. So we had to scramble and figure staffing out. Mm. Well, as you know, right now, because this is so new to us and so global and so, uh, as you said at the beginning, so stress-inducing, uh, a lot of us are always trying to figure out um, what to do, and I'm glad that you're able to come on there. Can you talk to us about how we can get through this from your perspective? Right, definitely. And uh, I think what we're, what we're doing, which is uh, trying to do social distancing and making sure we have uh, proper hand hygiene, that we wear masks whenever we go outside, these are simple but... Um, uh, readily effective ways by which we can protect ourselves and re- decrease our risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess as somebody who's worked in the hospital for many years, um, I thought it would be a good idea to share some tips uh, to people on how they can prepare for the possibility. Let's say if you get admitted into the hospital, what things that you can do to prepare yourself uh, and to make sure that things go um, go well for you, I suppose. That would be so lovely. Please, I have, the mic is over to you right now. Please please help us here. Oh, okay, okay. Well, since uh, you and I are both in the United States, um, I'm not sure if it's the same in many countries, but 
patient autonomy and uh, the decision making is uh, at the bedrock of uh, American healthcare. Uh, we want to make sure uh, that the patient receives the care that he or she wants, uh, if and only if he or she decides to have it. Mm. And so uh, we have rights, uh, you and I have rights when we uh, receive care at the hospital. Mm. And a lot of people are not aware of this. Mm. Uh, uh, for instance, um, we have the right to refuse the treatment that they, uh, that they prescribe us. We also have the right to change our minds. Uh, let's say we made a decision to uh, have a surgery or procedure and we can change our minds if, um, if we didn't think that it would be a good idea for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, I guess that's the first thing that I'd like to uh, uh, suggest is for people who are uh, seeing a doctor or taking medications, mm-hmm. I think having a list of a one-page summary of your health history um, that you regularly update Mm -hmm. uh, that would help a lot if you carry it with you when you get admitted to the hospital. Mm -hmm. It has your your name, your date of birth, your age, Mm -hmm. your allergies, uh, the list of um, the medications you're currently taking, Mm -hmm. which includes uh, the dosages, uh, and how often you're taking them, uh, and also your medical and surgical history, uh, which, is, which let's say, what other problems you might have, like high blood pressure or uh, heart disease, or if you had an appendectomy when you were in college. Um, those are the, the kinds of things that people or medical professionals will be asking you time and time again when you're in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And it would greatly... Um, help you because they won't be bothered by all those questions if you have that piece of paper mm-hmm. and if you make copies and bring it with you mm-hmm. they can give it to whoever is asking you those questions okay. um, uh, and uh, also oh, um, one very important I forgot that in your, that piece of paper uh, an emergency contact information mm-hmm. uh, uh, who do we contact if you're unable to make decisions for yourselves who's going to make those decisions for you. And I guess, I guess this is, uh, I guess, one of the most important things that you need to start thinking about uh, to prepare for this possibility. Uh, because uh, now we have a lot of patients who are getting admitted to the hospital, but visitors and family members are not allowed mm. because uh, of the risk of them getting COVID as well. Right. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, at the hospital where I used to work, they have absolutely banned any kind of visitors. Mm-hmm. into the whole hospital, regardless of whether uh, they have COVID or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's incredibly frustrating for a lot of uh, anxious family members and also for the patients, because mm-hmm. when you're in a hospital, you want to be surrounded by people you love, mm-hmm. and it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having that information, like who will make decisions for you or who do we contact if you make a turn for the worse, mm-hmm. um, that is uh, something you, that you can start thinking about so we can be prepared. Uh, The other thing that I wanted to uh, bring up is the issue of advanced directives and uh, medical power of attorney. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if uh, you're familiar with this. No, I'm I'm not at all. I'm I'm eager to find out. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So basically, um, uh, and not a lot of people know this, but these are documents 
that they routinely ask for patients whenever they get admitted to the hospital. Mm. Um, and, it, and, and it's extremely important to have these, uh, but not a lot of people have them because it takes some time and effort to have them ready, mm. um, uh, these legal documents. Uh, but the first is advanced directives. Basically, an advanced directive is a summary of what your wishes are if you're unable to make a decision uh, for yourself regarding your health. Uh, let's say you have uh, uh, lung cancer and you need uh, uh, to be placed in a ventilator uh, and it's terminal and uh, you can't make that decision for yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, an advanced directive lays lays out um, what your wishes are. Let's say you know that the condition is terminal. How would you like for us to guide, or how would you like uh, clinicians to guide your treatment? Do you want the most aggressive treatments? Do you want to be full code, which basically means do you want all aggressive measures possible to keep you alive? Do you want CPR? Do you want to be put on a ventilator? Or let's say you're elderly and you know you, you prefer not to be aggressive and die a peaceful, comfortable uh, uh, death, you can also say, no, I, I want to die peacefully. I, I don't want any aggressive measures. So basically an advanced directive is a summary of what your wishes are. Uh, and it's a legal document uh, that's signed and witnessed and notarized. Uh, and doctors and nurses and clinicians look at this document and say, okay, well, you have an advanced directive, you know what you want. So when or if or when that happens we have this document to guide us as we make decisions collaboratively mm. with your family members mm. so uh that's um one important thing uh the other thing is a bit more binding this is the medical power of attorney now a medical power of attorney assigns um a person to make medical decisions for you um when you're unable to make those decisions for yourself. Uh, So let's say uh, you are married and uh, in in current Texas law, uh, if you're unable to make decisions for for yourself and you're in the hospital uh, and decisions need to be made, uh, the first person uh, that clinicians automatically ask is the spouse. Mm And then if a spouse is absent, you have either have parents or children. And again, there's a flow chart uh, that uh, goes through who to ask, basically. Mm. Um, but let's say uh, you don't have any family. And then all you have is uh, like a really close friend. Uh, you can assign that friend to be the ones who make decisions for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this, this can be binding only when you're unable to make decisions for yourself. So uh, you complete it, and then you make the assignment, and, uh, and then you have it notarized um, and signed by the lawyer, uh, or by the notary. Uh, so I guess this is this is uh, what we counsel our patients to have mm-hmm. uh, whenever they get admitted, uh, to have those documents, mm-hmm. so that uh, if uh, something like that happens where they're unable to make decisions, um, hospital clinicians won't have to make those ethical, ethically uh, gray um, decisions. Let's say you have a spouse, but you're not divorced, but you're not in good terms with each other, but then you have children who are living with, 
who uh, want a different uh, decision to be made, uh, it's the spouse who you're not in, a, in good terms with who still makes those decisions, regardless of whether you're in good terms or not. Without without um, uh, interfering with your flow here, uh, so what if that person comes in without that document, is unable to make a decision, and you guys have no means of knowing uh, who to go to? Uh, what 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 would would you guys do then? So the automatic. Uh uh, tr- treating uh, the automatic treatment is to uh, consider the patient as a full code patient, which means we're going to do all things necessary to uh, keep that patient alive. Mm. Uh, and then, if let's say the patient does not respond, uh, you would have multiple doctors having to uh, decide and legally sign a statement saying that this uh, treatment is futile. Um, but uh, uh, the the hospital will do its uh, best to find out who's um, legally capable of making those decisions. I, I see. Well, I didn't mean to cut you. You can go ahead. Thanks. No, no, no. That's great. Um, so, uh, yeah, these are just documents that not a lot of people have, but we try uh, to educate the people, the patients we come into contact with to uh, start thinking about these things. Well, that's good uh, now, information because I have never, I'd never even heard of uh, this this advanced directive. I think it's a good thing; it makes sense. Yes, yes. But uh, yes. yes, in fact, uh, there are free forms that you can download online from the Texas Health and Human Services Department. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have these forms for free, and then you can fill it out, and then you can take it to the notary uh-huh. and have it completed. Um, and and. There are options where you can edit it and uh, scratch out some of those conditions if you prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 an option, and it's a free document you can download. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, let's see. So that's uh, another tip. Um, the third tip that I uh, I like to uh, give to people is uh, when you're in the hospital. You're in. Think of it uh, that you're still in charge, because it's your health and it's your life, and because it's your life and your health, you have the absolute right to ask questions on what people are doing, uh, and what medications they're giving you, or which doctors are coming to see you. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, because I'm a nurse, I'm acute. I'm constantly aware of the possibilities of. Uh, medication errors and things happening, uh, and I guess it's part of our training, which is why as nurses we're trained to do double or triple check, uh, to do all these double or triple checks before we administer medications to our patients mm-hmm. to uh, to prevent them from you know getting medication errors or getting overdoses mm-hmm. or underdoses. Uh, but sometimes those things still do happen because in crisis situations like these where the hospitals are understaffed and there's not enough nurses, um, you're just at a crunch to give, uh, to do the best that you can, and the risk of these errors uh, go up. And so, as a patient, uh, you, if you're, you're still able to make decisions, you can ask those questions. Every time you get medications, you say, what are these medications? What are they for? And you still have the decision to take them or not. 
Uh, and again, obviously, you're there in the hospital to get wet better, and most <laughs> people take their medication. <laughs> but if they give you something that you're not you're not familiar with, like what is this? What is this medication? Then you have a right to question and ask the nurse or ask the doctor or ask them to call your doctor. Why is this medication uh, being given to me? Mm-hmm. And I want to know why. Uh, and so, not a lot of people uh, know that they have that right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it. Uh, it empowers people to be more uh, in control of their health when they know that they have that right. Um, and also it goes uh, the same way with procedures like surgeries or um, other interventional procedures like having a stent. Um, clinicians like doctors and nurse practitioners, nurses, um, were legally uh obligated to uh, obtain informed consent. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with this term. Yeah, yes, I am familiar with that term. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yes. So basically, uh, whenever patients undergo a procedure like a blood transfusion or a, a major surgery, uh, the doctors are required to explain to the patient what the benefits and the risks are of the procedure. Mm-hmm. So, um, I used to work in a transplant ICU, and so uh, our surgeons would come to the transplant candidates uh, and spend at least 30 minutes or an hour uh, for them um, when they get an offer explaining the kind of organ that they're getting, what are the benefits and the risks are, because uh, it's a major life-threatening surgery, and um, we've had patients who've died on the operating table. So. Uh, as a doctor, it is their role and their responsibility to explain uh, those uh, risks uh, so that the patients are aware that their risks are there and they're still willing to go through the procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it um, it can be an issue sometimes when um, the doctors don't go through in detail about what can happen in those procedures and things happen, and so the patients are left wondering like why did I didn't accept this I didn't make this decision and so uh, it can be a tricky situation so my tip for uh, I guess our listeners is when a doctor uh, is asking or is counseling that you have a procedure uh, make sure to ask them to take the time to explain to you and uh, your family uh, about what the procedure is and what are the risks and the benefits are mm-hmm. In these emergency situations, though, um, where, and I don't know if your hospital is like this, um, uh, I know we're in Texas and in other states and in other countries, uh, hospitals are packed and everything is busy during this particular time. Um, right. What, uh, how do these apply? I know that it's still important, uh, you know, for us to follow these tips, but how would it apply here? Now, I guess uh, my, the t- these tips are for people who are not in the hospital yet. <laughs> so you have the time to be there, right? No. But when you're in the hospital, right. let's say you're in the hospital and you need, you're in, you're in an, emer- an emergency situation, mm-hmm. you're short of breath, right. and you need to be intubated. Right. Uh, the doctors uh, assume that you are full code unless otherwise. Mm-hmm. So they're going to do their best and do what they need to do to make sure that you stay alive. 
uh, unless you, you have written statements that say, you know, you don't want a ventilator, you don't want a breathing tube in your mouth, or you don't want chest compressions when your heart, or if your heart stops. Mm-hmm. Um, so... But, but I'm assuming, uh, I'm assuming if the person had heard of these tips and they had all that information readily available, somebody would be grabbing for that or would they, nobody, yes, yes. okay, gotcha. Yes, so uh, before any time, when a patient's deteriorating, a clinician, a nurse or a doctor automatically looks at the okay, is this patient full code or not? Do they want everything done or they don't want to go through this uh, process? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so having that information when, when you get admitted or if you get admitted, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that will prepare you and, and it'll make life easier for you and for the clinicians to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, we'll be right back with Mr. Jeff Saylor. Sure. journey. Our guest is Mr. Jeff Saylor. He has just provided us a set of actions we are best advised to take now to take while we are healthy and strong to take before the onset of any emergency to facilitate and maximize opportunities for preferred outcomes whenever we are engaged with our medical professionals. Yep, I also have got some work to do. I just learned a few things, and I think that's a good thing. That's what we do on The Journey. The Journey's platform is thejourney.riosports.com. Riosports is spelled R-Y-O-S-P-O-R-T-S. That is thejourney.riosports.com. Click on your health. You will find reputable health professionals with reliable health information. To be our best, to do our best, we need to be healthy. I'm back with uh, Mr. Jeff Saylor. Jeff, is there anything that you have come to realize during this lockdown, this emergency situation that will cause you to think differently, act differently in the future? What's new to you? Oh, definitely. Uh, I think the first thing that I realized is how much I need other people. <laughs> um, I think the isolation that we all are going through right now is difficult. But I I used to think uh, to myself that I'm pretty self-sufficient. I don't need other people. But I actually really do. <laughs> and um, I think being uh, stuck at home mostly and not being able to meet people face-to-face or even um, visit my family uh, 
is uh, is hard. So uh, my my mom has chronic conditions and she's in her sixties, mm. and um, we've talked and we've decided that um, I'm not going to uh, see them since, uh, uh, and visit them for the next several months just because of the risk that I might be bringing. Mm. And also, um, another thing is my dad works in the ICU and he cares for COVID positive patients. Mm. And now they're trying to figure out how to maintain uh, a social distance between my mom and my dad. So mm. he stays in one room and then my mom stays in another and he tries to uh, basically take a shower right before he enters the house. Um, so, and so, yeah, for me, it's just, it makes me aware of my need for other people and how relationships are really important to me Mm -hmm. and how much we're all interconnected. Um, a few months ago when this all started, I thought it was, this infection is just going to be in China, that it uh, won't be a problem. In fact, I actually had international travel plans. Mm-hmm. Um, for the rest of the summer, I was going to take language classes in Europe, in Austria, and in Italy. But um, uh, a week before I was about to leave, um, the travel bans were announced, and the case loads were uh, increasing, and the entire globe was shutting down. And I was like, mm, you know what? This is probably not the best idea to <laughs> go abroad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and imagine. Uh, uh, travel um, and so I stayed I stayed here in Houston um, but yeah basically the the rapidity of which this disease has overtaken the entire world it, it just shows that as much as countries try to isolate themselves and say oh uh, America first um, I think we're, we live in a world that's globalized whether people like it or not and we all need each other to to work with each other mm. to um, uh, make sure that the world is a better place. Um, so, yeah, and the other thing, the second thing that made me, the so other thing that that has changed is it, it made me, this whole COVID experience has made me realize uh, my own mortality. Uh, and again, I'm a critical care nurse, and so I've thought about, my, uh, you know, death and dying all the time since that used to be my bread and butter, working critical care. Um, dealing with dying patients was, uh, you know, an essential skill for an ICU nurse. Um, but I think um, the statistics and uh, the danger to which doing our job uh, can, uh, uh, I guess, can post to our own health, it made me realize, oh, actually, I need to start thinking about uh, those very same decisions or preparatory things I talked about in the first part of this interview. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's funny because a lot of healthcare professionals don't have those advanced directives or medical power Uh, attorney (laughs) and I don't (laughs) I uh, was scrambling to have it completed Um, so I'm I'm actually trying to get mine completed Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm assigning my brother to be my power attorney Mm -hmm. so so yeah so I'm encouraging anyone anyone who's listening to 
start thinking about those decisions. Uh, who's going to be in charge of your medical decisions when you're not able to make those decisions for yourself? Yes. Uh, because it's important. Yeah, you made me realize how important it is. Now I don't feel as bad knowing that you, a nurse as well, didn't. <laughs> I certainly don't have any of those things <laughs> done. I'm embarrassed to say. <laughs> it's all right. So I have not printed in my car, and I'm just, you know, uh, trying to uh, figure out um, where to get notarized. Since most notary services are closed, I went to the bank earlier this week, and they don't provide notary services, and so I have to scramble and figure out how to get them notar notarized. Uh, that's basically the only step that I need. Mm. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be right back with Mr. Sailor. Sure. On the journey, an empowerment division of Mary Norma Media. Visit our platform. Our platform is thejourney.riosports.com. There you will find a number of free resources for your health, well-being, and personal development. And remember to reach out and touch somebody. If you can't touch them with your hand, touch them with your heart. Well, I'm back with Mr. Jeff Saylor. So, Jeff, what is your outlook for yourself and for all of us now yeah <laughs> i mean as hard as it is to uh believe uh i think we're still gonna be okay <laughs> mm -hmm. i mean amidst all the uh uh sadness and uh despair and fear and anxiety that we see uh in the news day to day with uh, thousands of people who have sadly passed because of this epidemic i think we're gonna be okay mm. um i think that uh, the ingenuity of our researchers and our scientists uh, will ultimately prevail and that we will uh, get to a vaccine. And if we continue as a society, as the, a world uh, um, uh, that works together um, and doing all these preventative measures, uh, I think we'll be, we'll be, we'll be fine. We'll weather this just fine. Um, I do think that this experience has put uh, public health in the forefront of people's minds. Uh, not a lot of people are aware, but here in the United States, uh, the funding for public health has decreased dramatically over the past uh, several decades. Mm. And um, I think the uh, poor response that, that we've seen mm -hmm. uh, in the past couple of months is uh, attributed to this underfunding and this lack of preparedness that the U.S. has had compared to other uh, other countries. Mm -hmm. um, and again, uh, here in Texas especially, there are, I think, 
15 to 20 million people who are, or several million people who are uninsured. And I think this experience makes our people think that health is a right that people have and not just a commodity. And if we think of it this way, we're able to work collaboratively, collaboratively with each other. And um, I think we'll be a healthier society. Mm-hmm. So this is one good thing that we can come out from this uh, mm-hmm. in America. That we're all connected, that health is important, and it's a public good. And we ought to invest in uh, the health of everyone. Because if we don't, we're all going to suffer. Right. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I am so appreciative of you coming onto the journey and sharing these awesome tips with us. They are new to me, and I'm sure they're going to be new to many, many people listening to the program. I want you to be healthy. I want you to stay strong. Uh, stay for us. Oh, sure. You're welcome. It's been a, such a joy to be part of the journey. And I wish you all and our viewers or and our uh, listeners uh, uh, say, uh, good health and uh, stay safe and keep the distance and wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. The Journey is available free on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Rio Sports Radio, and several of your favorite internet platforms. Download, embed, and share via any of the social media you love. Through it all, remember, today is a gift. Enjoy it. Use it wisely. See you next week.